These words spake Jesus, and lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee, as thou hast given him power, authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. This is life eternal, that they might know thee the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. Dr. John G. Mitchell often asked a question that is still inscribed on the library wall on the campus of Multnomah University. Don't you folks ever read your Bibles? It is quite evident that he did. Dr. Mitchell once forgot his Bible in his office when he arrived to teach a graduate-level class on the Minor Prophets. Without a pause, he quoted the scripture for the day word for word from memory. Dr. Mitchell knew his Bible. Many were blessed by his Bible teaching, and today we invite you to share in those blessings by listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary, life that never ends. The Unchanging Word Bible broadcast continues our study in the 17th chapter of the Gospel of John, and we will be looking at verses 4 and 5. Now, in this prayer of Jesus, the men whom the Father had given to the Son were hearing the Lord praying and speaking intimately with His Father in heaven. And Jesus refers to His Father as holy in verse 11 and as righteous in verse 25. Here, Jesus speaks of glorification, and of having finished the work, both at the cross and the resurrection, which God the Father had given him to do. He also asks the Father to glorify him with his eternal, pre-incarnate glory, which he had before the world was. And Jesus will refer to his glory throughout this chapter. Well, Dr. Mitchell gives us an in-depth view of the Savior himself, so turn with us in your Bible to John chapter 17, verse 4, with Dr. Mitchell. Good day, friends. We again come to you, and needless to say, we are living in the joy and the expectancy of these hours together with you in John chapter 17. Uh, we started in our last two lessons on this amazing chapter, I first of all give you an overview of the chapter, of the various doctrines in the chapter, salvation, preservation, sanctification, glorification. We have Christ and his Father, Christ and the disciples, Christ and the church, and so on. And now we're dealing with the first five verses, and you can label this either salvation or Christ and his Father, which I would rather use, Christ and his Father, and the great word there is glory. And we've been in the first four verses uh, dealing with this question of our Lord glorifying his Father. 
And I'm going to read these first five verses again. These words spake Jesus, and lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee, as thou hast given him power, authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. This is life eternal, that they might know thee the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And we were discussing this in our last lesson. First of all, the hour is come for the glorification of the Father and the Son. This is the central hour of all time and eternity. You remember, all through John, our Lord kept saying, Mine hour is not yet come. Mine hour is not yet come. But now the hour is come. May I suggest to you again that the Lord is always on time? Whether it be in the life of our Savior or in your life or my life, God is always on time. God is not working haphazardly. He's always on time. Our Savior, in the fullness of time, took his place in the human race. Do you remember in Galatians chapter 4, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those who were under the law. In Romans chapter 5, verse 6, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He died at the right time. He didn't die a minute ahead or a minute late. And by the way, our Lord is going to return to the earth at the right time. He's going to return for the translation of his people, the resurrection of his people at the right time. He's going to come back to the earth to reign at the right time. And he's going to create the new heavens and the new earth at the right time. God is always on time. He's never behind time. Oftentimes, we Christians, we'd like to hurry God up, wouldn't we? We'd like to hurry God up. God can't be hurried. He's working all things out after the counsel of his own will, and he's always on time. Now, Jesus said here, Father, the hour is come. The hour for the glorification of the Father and the glorification of the Son. Also, it is the hour when he's going to die to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He's going to make it possible. The hour has come when he shall make it possible for men and women to come into the very presence of God, the eternal sovereign God who framed the ages by the word of his mouth and be acceptable. And then in verses uh, 2 and 3, we have where the Lord Jesus Christ spoke of the fact that he had authority over all flesh, authority to give eternal life to as many as the Father had given to the Son. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. And let me again repeat this tremendous fact. Eternal life speaks of a relationship between an individual and the living God. Eternal life can only come from one who is eternal. And until I am related to an eternal God, I cannot have eternal life. Human life is received by relationship 
to parents in the human family. When you and I were born into the world, we were born members of the human family, and whatever is, happens to the human family happens to you and to me. And if I want to be an eternal person, if I want to live forever, then I must be joined to one who is eternal. And Jesus Christ said, This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Now we go down to verses 4 and 5. Please notice, everything in his hands, every person in the hands of God is safe. He has all authority, and he takes care of everyone who comes to him. Now the ground of it, verses 4 and 5. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify thou me with the, your own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have glorified thee on the earth. You ever notice there's not a thing our Lord said or did that was not for the glory of God. You take his sinless, wonderful life. It was lived entirely for the glory of God. Wist ye not, said he to Mary, that I must be about my father's business. All through his life, it was on his father's business. Always doing the things that pleased his father. Perfect obedience to the word of his father. Absolute submission to the will of his father. This was the driving force in his life. Oh, would to God, this were true of you and me. As Christians, those of us who have taken the Savior, would to God that we might live entirely, completely holy for the glory of God. I have glorified thee on the earth. I repeat it, there was never a sign of anything our Savior said or done that was not for the glory of God. He raised Lazarus from the dead for the glory of God. He opened the eyes of the blind for the glory of God. He forgave sinners their sins for the glory of God. Every trace of his life from the time he was born into the human family till he went back to glory was for the glorification of his father. Even the very agony on the cross and becoming that terrible thing called sin was for the glory of God. I have glorified thee on the earth. And again, may I remind you, his work at the cross primarily was for the glory of God. And then he added, I have finished the work you gave me to do. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work you gave me to do. You ever notice that? He finished his work. That's why in Hebrews chapter 12, the second verse, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. We take Hebrews chapter 2, uh, verses 9 on through. We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. He, by the grace of God, should taste death for everyone. For it becometh him, 
of whom are all things and to whom are all things, of bringing many sons into glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering and so on. His work was finished. He finished the work the Father gave him to do. Way back in eternity, and I again come to the 40th Psalm, 6 to 8, way back in eternity, the purpose of salvation was worked out. There was no afterthought in the heart of God when Adam and Eve sinned in Genesis chapter 3. There was no afterthought in the heart of God to save man. He planned that away back in eternity. You remember in 1 Peter chapter 1, our Lord was as a lamb slain from before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you and for me who by him do believe in God, who raised him from the dead, that your faith and your hope might be in God. A life of absolute holiness and obedience, and he finished the work. He completed the work which the Father gave him to do. That's why I said a while ago, our Lord is always on time. He came into the human race on time, and he left this world on time. He could say, no man taketh my life from me. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. He could say the night he was betrayed, in two days will be the Passover, that the Son of Man shall be crucified. He set the time for his death. He announced how he would die, even before the Sanhedrin. even took a vote on it. And they took a vote and said, we must kill him, but not on the feast day, because they feared the Jews. But that was when he died. Passover time. I say again, the marvel of it, the wonder of our God, that he should even look on you and me, who are dead in trespasses and sin, we who are rebels against the grace of God and the word of God and the love of God by the patience of God, the long-suffering of God toward you and me. And he has made the provision for our salvation. That's why I've oftentimes said, you can't reason your way into Christianity. You can't work your way into Christianity. You've got to be born into the family of God by the new birth. Just because you're born into a family that trusts the Savior doesn't mean that you're a Christian. This is the tragedy of the day. Some people say, because I'm born into a Christian family, I'm, I'm a Christian. So there must be personal relationship. Life, I repeat it, life can only come through a relationship. And our Lord finished the job so that God is free not only to forgive you your sin, but to give you life eternal. Now listen to what he says. I have finished the work you gave me to do. May I be very brief? Our Lord did three things when he died on the cross. When we come to chapter 19, we'll say more about it, but I'll mention it right here. He fulfilled every prophecy concerning his coming into the human race. When he said on the cross, I thirst that the scripture might be fulfilled. There was nothing left on not fulfilled. Then he died to redeem men from sin. He finished the work of redemption to deliver men from sin and from death and from hell. And third, too, he came for the revelation of the Father to men. I have given the men, as we shall see in a few moments, I have given the men your name. 
I've revealed to them your name, the revelation of God to men. That's why in John chapter 14, when Philip said, Show us the Father. Have I been so long time with you, Philip, and don't you know me? He that has seen me has seen the Father. The works I do are my Father's works. The words I say are my Father's words. And believe me, uh, believe me, I'm in my Father. Or else believe me, or else believe me for my very work's sake. The revelation of the Father to men, the redemption of a human race. He could say, Father, I have finished the work you gave me to do. And now, O Father, verse 5, glorify thou me with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Having satisfied at the cross and having vindicated the very character of God in his righteousness, in his holiness, there's only one thing left now, Father. Glorify thou me with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Here you see the very yearning of our Lord's heart that he might be back with his Father in the glory, in perfect, wonderful fellowship with his Father. And this is based upon his perfect obedience as a man upon earth to that eternal purpose. And it is the intimate glory of the Father and of the Son that is before us, that which was evident before there ever was a world. Notice, please, our Lord Jesus here is claiming to be eternally pre-existent. Glorify thou me with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. He claims eternal existence. You remember in Proverbs chapter 8, I was with him when he made the worlds. I was his daily delight as one brought up with him. He claims this. May I quote from Philippians chapter 2. You remember verses 6 to 9 where our Lord said, let this mind, where Paul rather said, let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not a thing to be held on to or grasped after, but emptied himself. He made himself of no reputation. He took upon him the form of a slave, was found in fashion as a man, and humbled himself to death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him, and given him a name that's above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, in heaven and earth, under the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now I've quoted that second chapter of Philippians for, for this purpose. Here our Savior was with the Father before there ever was a world, before there ever was a creation. In fact, you remember it says, all things were made by him, Jesus, and without him was not anything made that was made. In Hebrews 11, I read, we understand by faith that the worlds were framed by the word of his mouth. In Hebrews chapter 1, He's the heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who bring the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down to the right hand of God. Remember those two verses of Hebrews chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, you have his incarnation. 
you have his complete, complete power in creation, in upholding all things, in his work of redemption, in his work of resurrection and exaltation to the right hand of God. I tell you, my friend, we have a wonderful Savior. He's the eternal Son of God. This is not some happen chance. He came, he laid aside, as far as I can realize it, he laid aside his glory. How else could he come into the human race? He came as a slave. He came as a man in the midst of men, but he always looked forward to the time when he would be glorified again with the glory which he had with the Father before the world was. You see, friend, one of the most most amazing things today in the universe. There's a man at God's right hand, a real man. One who was in the human race, took his place in the human family. He left the eternal glory and took his place in the human family. You know, I've oftentimes said, and I, I'm sure I've said it on this program before, but I'm going to repeat it. It wasn't very long ago that America put a man on, on the moon and all the world was staggered their imaginations were beyond, they were working full-time, 24 hours a day. Man is such a genius, he put man on the, on the moon. What did he find on the moon? Nothing else but a heap of rock and dust. The marvelous thing was that man brought man back again to the earth. But all he brought back to the earth was some rocks. 1900 years ago, heaven put a man on the earth. When he came on the earth, he didn't find a bunch of rocks and dust. He found a human race, dead in trespasses and sins. He found a human race under the powers of hell. He found a human race under the bondage of death. And he took his place in the human family, came down here, and men took him. They heard his gracious words. They saw his wonderful works. He fed the poor. He opened the eyes of the blind. He raised the dead. He cleansed the lepers. He forgave sinners. He was the friend of publicans and sinners. And they took him and they crucified him. They killed him and they buried him. And heaven raised him and took him back. He didn't take back stones and dust. Jesus Christ took back to glory, redeemed men and women who had been redeemed by precious blood at Calvary. And Jesus here said, Father, I've finished the work. There's nothing left for me to do now but to go back to glory. I've taken my place in the human race. I've, I, I, I have loved them. I have forgiven sinners. I've opened the eyes of their blind and cleansed their lepers and healed their sick and raised their dead. But how can they be delivered from it? So Jesus took your place and my place. He died your death my death. He finished the work. Now he says, Father, there's only one thing I want. I want to go back home to glory. Now I want you to glorify me with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Again, I repeat it to you, my friend, that Jesus Christ lived long before the earth was ever made. He's the eternal Son of God took his place in humanity for the purpose of redeeming you and me from sin, of fitting us, of fitting us 
come into the presence of God. Oh, don't you love this Savior? Don't you love Jesus Christ? Aren't you glad he came into the human race? Aren't you glad he revealed the heart of God in his love, in his tenderness, in his compassion? Aren't you glad that he bore your sin and my sin on his own body on the tree? Aren't you glad he was raised from the dead and defeated death in the grave? He guaranteed that he put away your sin by the sacrifice of himself, and now he's on the throne because he loved you and he loved me. Oh, friend, I plead with your heart to accept Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior. And the Lord bless you today for his name's sake. Don't be almost, put him foremost, for he loves you, my friend. He died and rose that we might be. Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study today. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.